Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Are you paying attention? Could machines ever think as human beings do? Most people say not. You're not most people. Hello, O'Toole. It's so exciting to be able to talk about the movie made from Andrew Hodge's book, The Imitation Game, which tells us the uh, story of Alan Turing, who during World War II was a mathematician who worked to crack the Enigma code um, with help from other mathematicians. And the movie came out a little while ago, but we decided to go ahead and review it a little bit late, but certainly well worth it. And isn't it amazing when we get to learn about history, and I know there's a few stretches, we're going to talk about them, but we get to learn about history through film that gives us such beautiful depiction of the entire thing. So I loved this movie, and I hope you did too, O'Toole. It really brought it to life so well executed. And even as the credits were rolling, I saw that there was a credit for a mathematical consultant. And I thought, how often do you see that in the movies? Um, You also gave me the Time Magazine. It was the December 1st to 8th issue of 2014. It was the cover story. And there were two things in there that I just, they just cracked me up. One was that they showed a picture of an actual German Enigma machine. Um, And as you said, it was uh, this machine that was capable of changing its encryption code every day. So there were 159 million million possibilities each day. So obviously a big challenge for anyone to crack. In the picture of the machine, it was open. There were the instructions in German on using it. And the very first instruction was on how to clean it. As you know, I used well, to live in... How, how Germanic of them. Right? You know, as you know, I used to live in yeah. Germany, and that just cracked me up because I remember when I got my first phone for my German apartment, and I was so excited, and I pulled out this huge instruction manual, and the very first instruction was on how to clean my phone, and I thought, okay... Of, cor- of course it was, because they that's all they care about is cleanliness, You know, and Benedict whatever. Cumberbatch, who I'm quite sure will be nominated for an Oscar, he was on the cover of Time magazine, and there was a quote inside the issue where he himself said that his name, Benedict Cumberbatch, sounded like something you'd find in an eccentric prelate's vegetable garden. And I got to tell you, that cracked me up because even his own mother was asking him, don't you want to change your name and get something that sounds a little bit more actor-like? Um, but somehow it, well, it really Well, you know, it, it, Cumberbatch plays this role very much the way he plays Sherlock, you mm-hmm. know, as if uh, the character was very aloof and didn't understand nuance, almost as if he was a bit autistic. Mm-hmm. And in truth, if you read the book, and I did get the book because I loved the movie so much and I glanced through it last night, but that's not true, actually. Alan Turing was very well liked by those around him. He worked in conjunction with and was not the sole purveyor of the brilliance behind this, although certainly he was the architect of it. But he was he was a liked person. So part of what they're showing you, he was odd. In these movies that are based on real life people, I remember reading something similar last year with the Dallas Buyers Club, where in yeah. the movie they portrayed him as a total homophobe. And they said in real life that was just not the case. Served the storyline. Yeah, in the movie he names the machine Chris, Christopher, after his first crush in in boarding school and he actually did have a crush on somebody who did die it's not sure that it was returned the way it was in the movie but at any rate um the name of the machine was actually the bomb b-o-m-b-e and i like that i think it sort of has a a very sort of okay you know we're going to blow up this machine with the bomb so i thought that was sort of sort of clever the turing that they describe he doesn't understand jokes and 
Uh, he takes common expressions literally. He did, in fact, study German and travel to Germany before and after the war, whereas in the movie they say that he doesn't. Commander Denniston's family has been very vocal about how could you make it look as if Denniston was, was an adversary here when he really, in fact, wasn't. And Clark, you know, the wonderful female character, he actually asked her to marry him, not because her parents were going to make her come home, but because he really liked her and he thought they really did well together. And the last thing that I think is important to note is that he did, in fact, kill himself, but it was long after he was no longer taking drugs that were um, imparted to him. But some say that he killed himself using cyanide because it could be dubious that maybe it was an accident and it would give his mother a little less grief, if you will. So those are some a few of the changes that you sort of have to take into consideration. But overall, these people did create a machine that broke uh, broke Enigma, which is pretty friggin' awesome. It is amazing. And Alan Turing was the one who came up with this test that was called the imitation game, where can you tell the difference between a man and a machine? And I was wondering, when the screenwriters do take liberties to make these real-life characters more cinematic, I was wondering if they were trying to make him more machine-like in what you called his almost autistic personality. But as you mentioned, Alan Turing, he was a pioneer of the personal computer and artificial intelligence. And it's so interesting to watch these movies set in World War II. Nowadays, where we live in a world of smartphones, where we talk to Siri and Siri customizes our user experience, that it wasn't that long ago that the personal computer did not exist. I know that one of his most famous papers was a paper that he wrote with somebody from, uh, from Princeton, actually. And it basically was a paper on the reliability of figuring out algorithms, mm -hmm. mathematical algorithms. And that paper is, is what Google used when they put their search engine together. I mean, he was clearly a mind before his time. You know, mm -hmm. he was clearly way before his time. And you can't help but wonder, who would he be today if, if, if he were living today um, what would he, you know, would we know his name? And I have a feeling we might. I mean, I think he was, you know, that cool and that smart. But what's amazing about this film is, first of all, the cinematography is excellent. Any scene, if they sit you there for three seconds and you could, you could take that scene and make it into a painting and want to hang it above your fireplace. What they had to do is they really told, I think, very, four very complex storylines that took place over a huge diversity of time. And they had to interweave them. And even the sense of urgency in building this was shown by the increased bombings that were taking place from Germany over England. I mean, just like maybe 45 seconds, but you I thought, oh my God, they better hurry up. Terrible things mm -hmm. are happening. Well, I mean, every single thing they took, you know, his story as a child was the flashbacks were so nicely done that you were you were you eased into them and they made sense around the parameters of where they just came from and well, then they had to have him solving the code and then they had to have the homosexuality issue and then the you know as i said the sense of urgency around the war that's not an easy two and a half hour piece to put together. I cannot say enough about how strong the structure of this screenplay was. Oh my God. As Amazing. You, as you mentioned, the tension was really so taut. It was a great use literally of the ticking clocks. I, I would love to read the original screenplay because when they built in this ticking clock so organically, there's a line in the movie that says, we weren't fighting the Germans, we were fighting the clock. So as you right. said, you know, there's that great scene 
where they say, while we're having this conversation, four more Englishmen just died, you know, and you did, you, you got this sense that they're going up against something that seemed unbreakable, undoable, a uh, conflict that just seemed insurmountable. Um, and yet the structure was so, so solid. So for example, the very first line in the movie where he says, pay attention, you know, and you hear the voice of Alan Turing, I mean, obviously played by Benedict Cumberbatch, but where he says, I'm smarter than you. So you're going to need to pay attention. You're already there sucked into the story. And it already says something about his character, that he's this genius mind. And the um, fact that they wove in the later day interrogation where Alan Turing is tried for gross indecency. It reminded me a lot of the structure with which I was so enamored on the new TV show, The Affair, where it gives a great backbone to the story that you've got these modern day cops asking what happened. So I went and looked at who the screenwriter was. It's Graham Moore, who you may have never heard of, but he did 10 Things I Hate About You, The Waiting Room, Pirates versus Ninjas and the Imitation Game. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what to say about that. So, so, and he also, he looks from the picture as if maybe he's 10 years old. So he <laughs> cer- clearly has no idea of the times in which he was writing. But what an amazing job he did. And I, we don't talk about Golden Globes or the Academy Awards because we're way too snooty for that, right? Oh, cool. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Not the adjective but, I would have chosen, but okay, okay, exactly. <laughs> but I want to I want to say because they're going to be the um, Academy Awards will be the nominations will be announced in about a week. I just want to say that I think this should get a ton of different nominations. I think the screenplay is excellent. I think the acting is excellent. I think the direction is excellent. I there's so many things that are so good about it that when put all together, and yes, it's a little long, and there are a couple of times you think, okay, could he finally could it could it work already? We're ready for this machine to work, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and not, um, not and then a, there's not a story that by itself I would think is so easy to tell because it is a lot about thinking, which is not a very visual activity. It's about math, it's about a machine. Um, the dialogue is another thing that was so well oh. done. So even when the cop says to Alan Turing, can I tell you a secret? And Benedict Cumberbatch just looks at me and goes, I'm good at those. I thought, again, in so few words, it says something about the plot, about the character. Um, it makes you want to hear the secret. Um, exposition came in so naturally. So for example, where it starts out and he's got his military interview And even if these things weren't necessarily true in real life about the fact that he didn't speak German and he had no humor, we immediately knew who that character was. Right. Um, So it was. But also when, when when he says, I'm really good at that, what's important to note, you know, when he says, you know, can you keep a secret? I'm really good at that. He says it as if he wishes he weren't good at it, as Mm -hmm. if he didn't have so many secrets he needed to keep. That's right. And, you know, there's this, what, you know, what to me, what was so poignant about that line was the delivery of it in that, um, you know, normally you say, I keep secrets and that's a point of pride. Mm-hmm. In this particular moment in time, he wished he were in need of keeping so many secrets. It's the whole, the whole thing is amazing. Can I just interject here? I know it's in the middle of the whole thing, but when the credits were, when they were sort of giving the updates at the end, and they said that the Queen in 1967, I believe, pardoned him. Well, in you know, 2013, was, it was kept secret another 50 years after the end of the war. Anyway, she gives him a royal pardon for him being convicted of being gay, basically. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, you shouldn't have given him a pardon. 
you, you should have given him an apology. Now, by the way, he was very much more openly homosexual than, than the movie shows. And mm-hmm. he was constantly coming on to men and they were basically mostly turning him down. Apparently it is tragic that he committed suicide at the age of 41. You do wonder what he would have gone on to do. Um, obviously he wasn't the only one working on the personal computer, but with a mind like that, um, it would have been interesting to see what his next project would have been to tackle. Well, he also pointed out, though, that the great scientific minds, their highest scientific contributions are usually in their early 30s. But Karen Knightley, who plays Joan Clark, who, you know, goes to work there and has a mind equal to the men, you know, that's a whole nother separate thing. It could have been a movie just about her, about Mm -hmm. how hard it was to be a woman back then with a great mind. And I will say, O'Toole, do you remember our Reggie, our very special Reggie? I wanted to bring that up. We have to just give an ode to Reggie in this moment in time. Reggie, who we met, she was um, one of the cryptologists down in Washington uh, working on breaking the Japanese codes as they came in. Mm -hmm. And she actually saw the piece of paper that announced Pearl Harbor was going to be um, was going to be bombed, uh, which was sent but not received before the actual bombing took place. We had the the great opportunity to meet her, and um, and O'Toole filmed her, and we're you know putting out some of the film around her. And unfortunately, she passed away this past year. But um, I would love to have gone to this movie with her. I'm sure she would have you know, enjoyed it tremendously. When we met her and we asked, what was it like breaking these codes during World War II? And do you remember she was doing that day's crossword puzzle in the paper? And she said it was a lot like solving crossword puzzles. And she exactly. seemed to just and write it, it I off. Know. I found that fascinating in the script that in the imitation game, when they want to show how Alan Turing is screening applicants um, for the position of cryptographer, he gave his potential hires a crossword puzzle to crack. Well, and actually, that is not factually accurate. He did not give them crossword puzzles. He did other kinds of interviews. But at Belchley, they did do crossword puzzles to test people uh, and to say that these people really existed and they had amazing lives. And at what's really interesting is the pinnacle of their lives was often the work they did during World War II. And it's said by a number of people in the movie, I will never do anything more important than this moment. And uh, when you're you know, breaking a code that could change the course of the of World War II. They say that it, it probably, the fact that they could, they broke this code probably saved about 12 million lives. It, it ended the war two years earlier than the war might have ended had they not broken it. And I thought that was such a powerful uh, part of the story, the wartime choices one has to make, because it was so well portrayed in the movie where when they cracked the code, they could not just announce that they had cracked the code. Um, Because the Germans would know, and strategically, they had to meet out um, which information they would use. Um, And so they were kind of deciding, in the movie anyway, about who would live and who would die. And every day they had to continue with another kind of horrific calculus about how many lives could they save, measured against the probability that the Germans would discover that they had cracked the code and stopped using it. Well, you know, and it's funny because really it's an ethics lesson, you know. Did you know that he was, in fact, a long-distance runner? And, in fact, he did—he was a marathon runner and mm-hmm. Turing, and his best time was only 11 minutes short of the world record at the time. So he was really a runner. 
man. It's incredible. And I, I find that sport was so fitting to his character that it's almost right. him against himself and him against his own personal best and how fast well, can he go? Well, it's a loner sport. Yeah, mm-hmm. running is a loner sport, you know? And Winston Churchill did state that he felt that Turing made the single greatest contribution in Britain's world war effort. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and I believe Churchill. Don't you believe everything Churchill ever said? <laughs> I just want to go back to the Kira Knightley figure um, because I can see why so many stories are so riveting that are set during wartime. And I don't know if you remember, this was a show that came out a long time ago. I want to say maybe the 90s called Homefront. It was set during World War II. And it was fascinating because as opposed to taking place on the front lines, it was about the people who were left behind who were still called upon to run the factories and run the town and how their lives changed as power dynamics shifted during the war. And it was so interesting seeing that all of a sudden women were working in the factories. And then, of course, when the soldiers come home from the war, everyone's gotten used to a new status quo and how things have shifted. And it's it's interesting that in times of war, you see more people mixing who might not have, that in some ways it becomes more of a meritocracy, that the Kira Knightley figure is given the job despite the rampant sexism because she might actually be able to, um, Alan Turing anyway, realizes that she is of great, great help. It was also an interesting use of her trying to make what could have been an unsympathetic character in a movie, an impressive one, but not necessarily a sympathetic one, seem more sympathetic, where it wasn't quite a love story, but definitely a male-female story of two minds with great empathy for each other. Um, that character added so much to the script. And I think Kara Knightley did a really good job. You know, she was totally cute and appealing, but you thought she was as smart as she appeared. In the script, I know that they quote at least three times this idea that sometimes it's the people no one imagines anything of who do the things that no one can imagine, which definitely Uh, was the theme (laughs) of the movie. If you go for no other reason, it's to hear that said in three different ways equally well. You know, mm-hmm. it's. But the other thing is, you have to. You, by the way, if you you do sit there and wonder, gosh, how smart am I? You know, and the truth is, none of us could probably even sit in that room. But mm-hmm. what they what the the film website does, which is uh, www.theimitationgamemovie.com, you can go and you can unlock exclusive content by solving crossword puzzles conceived by Turing in his lifetime. So go ahead, you guys. Everybody go there. Yes, go to this website. Now I went, and I will tell you, I unfortunately can't give you any of the exclusive content because I was not able to solve any of the crossword (laughs) puzzles. But that doesn't mean I'm not smart. It just means I'm smart in my own special way is all That's right. That's right. Right. Um, And the other thing that I think is really sort of cool is the Weinstein Company acquired the film for a record breaking $7 million, the highest ever amount paid for U.S. distribution rights of a European film. And I'm so glad they did. Thank you, Weinstein Brothers, because I often feel that if I had been taught history in high school by movies that I've been able to see over the last 15 years, I probably would have done better in history. You know, I would have, it would have been brought alive. It's hard to bring history alive. And gosh, this movie does it so well, don't you think? They humanize something that is very difficult to humanize. Um, but let me ask you this, Hollister. I remember once um, someone at a party was asking me if I were to organize a film festival 
which films would I screen? And it made me obviously think about which criteria would I employ to get my slate of films. And often when I'm asked, you know, what are your all-time favorite movies? I'm often torn because I realize there's a discrepancy for me between movies that I enjoy and I can watch over and over and over and movies that massively impress me where either they take so much out of me that really watching them once is enough. This is a once enough film, don't you think? Once is enough. It was so masterfully executed. Okay, 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 okay. I got to ask you, Emily, what movie, I can't imagine, what movie do you watch over and over again? I mean, we all know that I watch Pretty Woman once a year. I watch The Holiday once a year. What movies do you watch over and over? Often it is a factor of whether or not they're just on TV. And I'm like, yep, I could watch it again and again. I okay, don't, watch- quali- don't qualify the answer. You can still okay, flick the switch. Um, what yeah when harry met sally oh you do yep i love that movie oh, i'm so glad to hear that anything else uh moonstruck no, that arm thing that his arm gave me the creeps i had a trouble <laughs> with moonstruck um, okay but back to the smart movie that we're reviewing right now. yes exactly since <laughs> okay yes. cumberbatch by the way wore dentures during the movie at his own behest and they were the exact replica of um turing's dentures turing wore full dentures back then really? and they made a replica so that cumberbatch's teeth would match turing's and he did that he asked to do that he did that on his own he plays these smart characters with a lot of inner yeah, fervor so well. Um, but you... he was Sherlock. It was he, he. You know, you could see the Sherlock in him when he was playing this. Very for sure. similar character. You know, an Englishman, yeah. a great mind, um, withdrawn. Yeah. Did you see him in August Osage County? I did, and I thought he was excellent. He was excellent. Um, I heard yeah. now he's going to be the voice of one of the penguins in Penguins of Madagascar. I wanted um, just mention too, Matthew Good was in the Imitation Game, who I love his character Finn on The Good Wife. So it's interesting to watch him here play the relative cad of the well, cast. Well, not only that, you know, it, it's a it's a big, it's a big role for him to get because it's a serious person, you know, and he's playing this, you know, another mathematical smart boy, mm-hmm. and he I thought he did a really really good job. Yep. And then Alan Leach, who played the Irish chauffeur on Downton Abbey and uh-huh. was in the first episode uh-huh. of Black Mirror. He plays the Russian spy. Um, but the genre mixing, I thought, was really good because it was a mixture of mystery and um, a wartime genre, um, you know, themes of monster versus man, machine versus man, um, you know, very, very well executed. And the director, Morton uh, Dildum, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's he was born in Norway. You know, Norwegian directors I think are really great, and he's you know he did the Imitation Game and he did Headhunters, which I didn't see, and Buddy in two thousand three. So this is his first foray into the big time, and it'll be interesting to see if they give him a nod in any of the um, in any of the awards. He deserves one. This this was so. I, I just have to say it again. To direct a movie like this was really, really, really challenging, and he did an amazing job. There were four movies in one movie, and sometimes you say they should have made it four movies, and in this particular case, he nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So we hope you go. If you haven't seen it, watch it on On Demand. I'm sure it'll be there shortly. Uh, This is a movie to watch with a teenager to teach them about World War II. And I'm going to go check out your website and see if I can crack that crossword puzzle. Yeah, you probably can. You know, that's okay, O'Toole. Show off, girl. Go ahead. Go ahead. Crack it. (laughs) 